I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Stoke the Fire. As always, we are your hosts from across the pond, Matt Stocks and Jesse Leach. How are you, brother Jesse Leach? Yeah, in good spirits this morning. How about you, my friend? I'm in high spirits. Um, I'm in my favorite part of the year. You know, January starts for me, as you know, I do the water fast for a few days. Then I do the green juice fast for a few days. On top of that, I'm like two and a half months sober at the moment. And I've finally, and I have complete confidence in this this time, finally kicked the fags, the smokes, the cigarettes. They're gone. Um, I read this amazing book called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking by a guy called Alan Carr. And if anybody who's watching this is a smoker or has like a partner, best friend, family member that is a smoker and they would like them to quit, I cannot recommend this book enough because I've tried and failed so many times, probably a hundred, and that's not an exaggeration. And this time, there is no like zero desire to ever smoke again. So I've got everything good going on, uh, and I feel like almost superhuman with my health at the moment. You're in full madman mode, you know, without any of the the drugs or anything. It's crazy. The new you. Every year, it's a new me, but this time I'm going to stay the course and, and you know keep growing and stay on the, not the straight and narrow, but, you know, keep it positive, keep it moving. It's good, man. That's a good way to be, especially during these times. Keep taking care of this, you know, taking care of your body helps take care of this. So you're doing the right thing, man. And I'm sure you're inspiring a lot of people to do the same. So good on you, brother. And look at this nice light that I've got. Can you see the light situation here is a little bit better than it has been in the past, I've invested in one of these little ring lights. I'm still kind of like trying to figure it out, but there's three different color settings. It's quite exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on the stripe room, but I've moved the uh, angle a little bit. So it's same room, different angle. Same me, different angle. How is engaged life? How is that <clears throat> treating you? Oh, it's great. I mean, you know, honestly, Corinne has just been talking about it nonstop. So planning where we're going to be, what we're going to wear, like just all the details that I'm, I haven't even... I'm like, I just asked you, I haven't even started to think about that stuff, but she's got her lists already. She's so excited. It's awesome to see how excited she is. And she's just been so adorable the past few few days. So it's been great. (laughs) I have zero experience in either department, but from my observations, I would say Christmas is primarily for the kids. Right. And weddings is just primarily for the wives, isn't it? Like <laughs> they're, they're so much more stoked in it than any dude I've ever known. He's like, yeah, we're doing it. But yeah. she's the, the one who's like, she's got some cool ideas. I and mean, we're going to do it in style on a black sand beach in California near the Redwoods. So there's a whole like nature theme to it. We've already talked about music. 
it's going to be cool. So whoever d- does get to come is going to be, it's going to be a cool wedding and the ceremony will be short and sweet. And then we'll just have a nice, huge spread and a party. So it's going to be cool because I've been to so many weddings where you're just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. and then those few weddings where you're like, wow, that's cool. Like get the ceremony it can be done. Yeah. Get the ceremony done and everyone just have a good time. Like that's what it should be. So that's what's going to be, but it'll be epic. She's got great ideas. I have to give it to her. Well, we've kept this man waiting long enough, so let's not waste any more time. Today's guest is, like you, I look up to this guy like an older brother figure in my life. I've had the great pleasure of being very close friends with him for, I want to say, 13 years now. Um, He is just a legend in the world of broadcasting. Uh, He is a legend in the world of underground music, as well as you rightly know. Um, And we'll get into that momentarily, your connection to his music. But without further ado, please welcome onto the show, the legend, Johnny Doom, ladies and gentlemen of Kerrang! Radio and Doom fame. Here I am. There he is. <laughs> not not the best camera in the world, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can see me. I'm here. Uh, it's it's like those 90s viral video kind of quality. That's what's going on. I thought you'd maybe got yourself a webcam like secondhand on eBay or something. But... <laughs> no, it's just my laptop I use for my uh, shows and things like that. It's my little workstation and my Kerrang mic and things like that. But, yeah, it's a pleasure to uh, be on the show. Nice to meet you both. Uh, you know, are we meeting for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> I'm to you for a while. Stop. I, I was trying to think the last time I saw you, I think was in that pub down the road from the Institute in HMV, uh, not in HMV, the HMV Institute in Digbeth. Um, oh, yeah, we randomly yeah. bumped into each other. You were in there with a friend. I came in with a friend. I was like, oh, doom. And you're one of those yeah. people, man. We don't see each other that often, but whenever we do, it's like no time has passed. And I'm always thrilled and overjoyed to see you and catch up. And whenever we get the chance to do stuff like this, it's always a productive and interesting time and conversation as well. So, um, I would love to. So me and Jesse, the kind of root of this podcast was the live Q&A that we did together in Birmingham a few years back, which you were at. And what was really fascinating for me that night is Jesse kind of like recognized you and was like, no way, like Johnny Doom's here. And, And that's something that has always struck me about Jesse is he's always been, no matter how successful his projects grow, he's always been a fan himself first. Um, so Jesse, I would love to know about your history and your connection to Johnny through his music and how you knew who he was and, you know, your thoughts on, I'm guessing doom was the uh, entry point, but where does it all begin? Yeah, I'm totally a fanboy, And I, I, I think that's a badge of pride for me. I think it's, you know, when you stop being a fan of music, then it might be time to pack it up and stop doing it. Um, yeah, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, in the early nineties, uh, alongside, um, a very um, historical band for me, Drop Dead. Those guys were like yeah. the fathers of that scene. And, you know, seeing Bob Otis with his conviction and his passion and the way that that band presented themselves and the extremity that they play, they were just the perfect band, gateway drug for me for, for punk and for grind and that genre of music where lyrics were everything. You know, it was all about the, the substance. And those guys switched me on to Doom. Um, through conversation and seeing patches on all the kids and like just doom was such a, a pivotal band. Like you, if you were in that scene, if you were even in the periphery of that scene in hardcore, you knew who doom was. So I remember getting switched onto them and it was such a different sound. It was just brutal vocals and 
the whole ethos behind it, just the compassion for humanity and, you know, mm-hmm. pointing out the corruption, all that stuff just like fell in line with everything I was all about at that age and still truly feel deep down in my heart of hearts to be connected to. So yeah, that night when we, you know, I got my friend Johnny Doom and like you had been known as Johnny Doom, the presenter, the the DJ. So in my mind, I didn't even put two and two together. And then Matt's like, yeah, Johnny Doom, and like Doom, Doom. And I, the light bulb, the switch went on. I'm sure if anyone was in the room with us, which there wasn't, it was just the three of us. My eyes kind of was like, oh shit, <laughs> this is this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were really casual about it. It was great. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a band that helped shape me and continue to push me to to want to write the lyrics that I wrote and, and have that conviction behind the music always. So definitely a legendary part of my upbringing. And yeah, it can't be overstated the importance of that band. Well, I, it's, it's weird for me because obviously my name's John Pickering, you know, and uh, that's, you know, what I was on the doom records. Um, so Johnny doom just ends up being a nickname, just like someone might call you Jesse Killswitch, you know, or whatever, uh, you know how it works with bands. You get those nicknames and they stick with you. So it's always everyone's calling you Johnny Doom, you know, Johnny Doom, Johnny from Doom. And then obviously that went into the radio name, which works well, you know, works better than John Pickering for a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of people don't make that connection. And um, and yeah, Doom is still uh, going strong, you know, without me. Uh, they have become a force of their own in terms of just, as you say, those specific politics, um, you know, sticking by the kind of anarcho-politics, vegetarianism, anti-capitalism, um, you know, human rights. Um, and I've just stuck with that. My journey's been a bit different, you know, which we can get into. Um, you know, my journey's been a bit different. But it started in the punk scene from being interested in things like crass, you know, seeing them in papers. There was a lot of punk stuff around in the eight, you know, kind of late 70s, 80s. Um, and you had a punk chart and sorry, an independent chart, which had lots of punk records in it. So you'd be able to see in a music paper, things like Dead Kennedys and Antipasti in this kind of independent chart. And uh, me and Brian, you know, who formed Doom, we used to go into town and buy singles and buy punk singles together. And he used to collect demos and swap demos with people. I used to tape trade as well. Uh, we'd be the only two punks in our school, really. Where, um, where did we were... you grow up, John? It wasn't Birmingham City Centre, was it? Was it like suburbs? Yeah, and I'm not um, shy about saying that it was quite a nice area as well, a place called Streetly near Sutton Coldfield. I wasn't born into wealth. My dad bought his house there because he just saw it. It had just been built and it cost £3,800, <laughs> which is now worth something like 450000 you know. So, so he just bought this bungalow there and moved there. And then I... You know, I grew up in a fairly nice area. So did Brian. Um, we didn't have wealthy parents and uh, we weren't interested in some of the things other people were. We were really in- interested in music. Um, so, yeah, we, we just uh, we started kind of getting into punk and you try and outdo each other when you're young. You're like, who can get the most music and the most bands written on their jacket and things like that. And me and Brian, we, you know, we were... 
we were trying to be as punk as possible because it was all exciting. And, you know, music was coming from everywhere at you. The old stuff, which you, you might have missed, like Stiff Little Fingers or The Clash. You've got new stuff coming through, uh, new punk, uh, but then new hardcore as well. I had Metallica and Slayer and all that stuff bombarding at me at the same time because thrash metal was starting to come through. So it just felt like everywhere I looked, there was like a new band or something new and exciting to take on board. And, um, and yeah, it just, uh, the punk scene was, it wasn't a punk scene where I lived. So you had to go and find it. So the nearest place was Warsaw. There was a few gigs on there. There was a little pub where we went and saw a few bands play Charlie and the Horlicks overdose, uh, an old Warsaw punk, <laughs> punk band. And, uh, and then the other place to go was the mermaid in Birmingham, which was a big pub in an Indian area in a kind of uh, Muslim area, I suppose, of Birmingham, Spark Hill. And we used to get two buses over there and drink a cider on the way over. And then you'd go to this giant pub and a guy called Daz Russell put on the gigs there who puts on Rebellion Festival that's on now, the big punk festival in Blackpool. Is he from Birmingham, is he? Yeah, that's where he first cut his teeth. And I've got to take my hat off to him. He put on the best gigs because he was into psychedelia. He was into rock. He was into noise. He was into crust and punk. He was into all this stuff that was emerging. So people used to go to the Mermaid as like the mecca of uh kind of punk and hardcore gigs because it was in the center of Birmingham and everyone all the punks from Bristol could get there in a van all the punks from London could get there in a van even Newcastle Manchester Scotland so it become the mermaid pub became this hub of all these different people and you'd go and watch cardiacs one night and then you'd go and watch swans the next night and then few weeks later broken bones and then he doing all day with amoebics and napalm death and heresy and deviated instinct and you go to that and you'd watch like five bands one after the other and just be like punks everywhere and crust crust wasn't really a thing but it was starting to kind of more people were dressing crust punk because of deviated instinct and they looked so cool with all their ripped up shit and all that you know that kind of stuff so what about GBH, John? Were they important at that time in Birmingham or? Yeah, they- yeah, they were solid, you know, solid punk bands. You know, you had your political punk bands like Crass who were really espousing some pretty heavy stuff, especially when I was 12. I didn't re- even understand a lot of Crass until later on. So I was 12 when I went to see Crass. Um, and G- bands like GBH from the circuit as well. And they were just solid punk. They put on a great performance, not political. So they didn't kind of get into all that stuff. It was just fun in some ways, you know. So, and they were nice people as well. I'm good friends with GBH. We practice at the same place, you know, us strongos for Europe. Basically. Still to this day. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all good mates. So, so yeah, growing up in Birmingham at the Mermaid was perfect because, as I said, you could go and see all these great bands. Daz Russell was putting them on. Um, and then that made me and Brian go, right, we've got to do this. Let's get a band together. Did a band called The Subverters, played at the school hall um, for a few schoolmates who hated it and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then took it out, did it again and took it to Warsaw. Then 
but then we had this strange thing where we went, no, we'll leave that. We we want to do a different band. And we got Mickey Harris from Napalm Death to play drums for us. And we were called Doom. And we did like six tracks. And it was really kind of metally grindcore. And I've still got a tape of it. We played one gig at the Mermaid. Um, He's an absolute firehouse, that guy. Like personality-wise and playing-wise. He is, it was he always just hypercharged. Yeah, Mickey Harris is probably one of the strangest people in the world. (laughs) Everyone hates him. I had him on my show. I had a great chat with him, but he he was intense. He's made so many enemies in the in the music business, (laughs) in life, and he just doesn't care. He's just kind of insane. But he's. I've had some really good times with him over the years. You know, I enjoyed practicing with him. We did that gig, Uh, but I couldn't be in a band with him. He's nuts. but yeah, so um, so anyway, that kind of fell apart. And then we got Doom together, and Brian was just like, "We've got to do something discharge." You know, everyone's doing metal, people are doing thrash, death metal starting to come through. Let's just do discharging, kind of straightforward, no nonsense punk. We just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and we we did that and wrote loads of songs. Got Stick on drums, Pete on bass, who was really young, and we were just focused and we just wrote song after song of really simple tracks and made it you know quite gruff and quite in your face and then that was doom really and it started and we we just yeah we went out on tour with concrete socks we went to um, europe in a van and uh, you know went to holland and belgium and italy and we were held at machine gun point trying to get into yugoslavia as it was then um you know, this is 88, 89, and managed to get in there and played this giant gig in Yugoslavia in front of thousands of people. It was just some random mad shit. But, yeah, we went out on tour. We released stuff on Peaceville Records, who were up and coming at the time. Hammy had kind of started a punk label, and then it diversified into a big metal label in the end. But he was a good friend. And I was in Sore Throat as well, so I was doing doing Doom and also friends with some people in Bradford and punks up there and people who went to the Anarchist Club in Bradford, the one in 12 Club. And I was doing a little side project called Sore Throat as well, which was just noise core kind of stuff. But yeah, I was heavily involved in the punk scene and still got masses of connections with it now. Still play to punk audiences, still friends with the same people in the punk scene. Um, but if you want to make the story interesting, I also rebelled against it big time. Well, let's go into that, John, because I think what would be interesting to touch upon and explore is many of the ideologies that the punk scene that you were involved in back in the 80s are now mainstream, right? Yes. Um, and it's kind of been co-opted in, in this crazy way. Um, and you were there front line for the birth of a lot of that stuff, as you're saying, like, you know, equal rights for all human beings and vegetarianism and ecological concerns and anti-capitalist ideas, all this stuff now yeah. has become like mainstream discourse. And if you don't fall exactly in line with it, you're the one who's ostracized. And it's almost like this left wing fascism that's come around. Um, now, a similarity that both of you two share is you both used to be, I think, a lot more vocal and present online with your thoughts than you are now and we me and jesse have touched on this you and i've spoken about this but i've definitely seen both of you pull back more in recent times because you almost have to don't you out of self-preservation so john i guess let's just go from the moment you began to see things change and flip and what your reaction has been to it 
what you mean the cultural change yeah. that's happened that's happened recently you yeah. know in the last in the last 10 years um if yeah, you want to go there or you can go further back but yeah this shift is really interesting to me well well we'll have to go back in order to kind of address where where we are now but yeah the it is interesting because as you know i think about culture i look at culture and cultural change and trends and things like that and it wasn't long ago, if you remember, uh, you know, when Kerrang! launched in 2004, Kerrang! Radio, that is, um, it was the opposite. We were actually in a time where we were into gross-out humour. Uh, we were into real bad taste. Uh, there was bad taste in movies. You know, Freddie Got Fingered, um, American Pie, uh, you know, pop punk was kind of like a little bit, you know, it was all, everything was about, Sexist, right? Well, it it was about reveling in the bad ta- in bad taste, and who the, was it? The Farrelly brothers as well, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So yep. it wasn't long ago, and Frankie Boyle. You can you can you can see the change in comedians. Uh, interestingly, Frankie Boyle when he started was making really offensive jokes. Jimmy Carr as well, and. They must have had chats with their agent at some point, you know, where this cultural change happened because they just took a step back, stopped being offensive and started to be a little bit more on track politically. Um, so I don't know what happened exactly, but as humans, we like we don't like to be told what to do and we don't like to fully conform to being good all the time, you know. I I fully commend bad taste. You know, I commend bad taste humor. I enjoy it um, same way other people do. Um, but maybe the cultural sea change is that so many people online now are connected and so much information is being passed around. There's, there's, there's almost like rules of conduct now whereby if you break them, it can break you and it can have like massive effects on you. I was enjoying having conversations online myself on my Facebook page about controversial topics, almost like I was a journalist or someone working in the media. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd see a story that either, you know, really got on my nerves or, you know, kind of incensed me. And I'd feel like I wanted to kind of discuss it with people or get it out in the open. But I just felt that over time it led me into some areas where I just was being pigeonholed as one thing or, you know, it's kind of giving the wrong image of myself politically and things like that. And also the arguments that started, the, the conversation seemed to go nowhere. You know, it was giving me anxiety thinking about what was happening while I was, say, asleep, you know, with these things. So as much as I love thinking about things and talking about things, I think, I think you, there's a self-preservation aspect to it where you're like, just a sec, I can see what's happening here. People want to call people out and people love to see you fail. People love to bring you down. You know, when, it, when I went from punk even to working for Kerrang! Radio, I had so many people going, oh, God, you sold out now working for the media. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, like mainstream. Yeah, he's got mainstream. Whereas they, you know, people love to bring you down, and so, so, I imagine culture 
part of it is moving ahead and progress and trying to treat each other better, which, you know, it's happening in, in lots of ways. And it's yeah. obviously really positive and good. And then, I, and then, as usual, I think there's an ominous aspect as well where people just want to fuck with each other and see people suffer, you know, and kind of dig into each other. And there's so many hot-button issues now, you know, whether it's trans and uh, gender politics and there's certain things that you, I wouldn't even go there, you know, unless I'd prepared properly. Because they're so divisive. Um, yeah, I think there's, on, there's something to be Twitter. said for, um, for for like saying something in the moment, right? If, if you're there at a venue, whether you're a comedian or a musician, and you say something that's funny, and the room laughs, and there's a, a vibe to it, take that out of context and put it online. It'll cause a shitstorm. It's very much the same as someone recording it and putting it on YouTube or Facebook. If you weren't there, if you didn't see the context of the joke or the comment. It could have been taken differently, but you're right. I feel like online is just a breeding ground for for anger, for arguing, for like you said, making seeing people fail, and that is part of it. It's like if you weren't there in the moment when that joke or that thing was said, and you don't understand the context of it, you're missing out on the person's character, the context, mm-hmm. contextualizing what was said, and that's caused so many people have lost their careers over that type of shit. Yeah, an- another example is. Um- uh, you know, a few years ago, it seems like a distant memory now, but when ISIS uh, was was wreaking havoc, you know, in the streets and, you know, bombs were going off everywhere and there was just a climate of kind of fear. You know, I was talking about Islam uh, on my page, you know, and talking about, I suppose I was reading about atheist perspectives, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins and people like that, you know, and I'd always had a history of being kind of critical of religion through punk. You know, one of the first singles I bought, Crass single, was Reality Asylum. It was just like this blasphemous tirade of kind of, you know, and there was was always this really kind of critical element of religion and religious power um, in punk. And I grew up thinking that was normal. And then when I kind of got to, you know, when ISIS was happening, and radical Islam and Islamism, as people call it. I wanted to have that conversation. I was kind of like online chatting about it in various ways and putting things across. But because there was right-wing people doing it in our country at the same time, it just looked like I was doing the same thing, you know. And and as I said, that that, that just made me kind of annoyed because, you know, I think it's good to critique religion and religious power and influence it has over society. Um, you know, well, and be real, John, as well. I mean, just to start the discussion, it doesn't even need to begin with criticism, but it does feel like now you can't even start the conversation for fear of being reprimanded or called to task. It's like, well, I, I haven't even stated an opinion yet. I just raised the topic and it's like, you know, the shotguns are out and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's 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 quite strange in some ways, but I think it's because people are so ahead of themselves now on the internet. Things move so fast and the dialogue moves so fast. I mean, when we were growing up, if somebody was, if your boyfriend was being an asshole to you. Did you have a lot? Do you have that a lot growing up, John? Or your girlfriend. <laughs> you'd go, they're playing mind games. They're playing mind games with me. You know, whereas now we've got terms for everything. Gaslighting. 
you know, uh, there's various, ter- there's so much terminology now, a lot of it from America as well, Jesse. Mm. Um, yeah, you're to blame. We, we, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, it's no, it's of, therapy culture, isn't it? That's bled yeah, into a lot of it. A lot of it, a lot of it comes from the states and then gets bled into every culture. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, and I'm not going to argue that some of it has been really good as well. You know, in terms of progression, in, I don't know, looking after women, for instance. Look at the last ten years in the way that women have been listened to and abuse has been taken seriously. You know, you couldn't see it as some kind of witch hunt to get against men. It's, it's just women getting together and speaking up. So it's been, it's been loads of things, loads of progress, in my opinion, in lots of ways. You know, we're talking more about environmental issues in a global way. Um, there's lots of things that have, have got better, but we, we're just... We're just the same. We we will act in ways that are noble, but we'll also be conniving and underhand and weak. And, you know, that's part of us. You know, what, one thing about me is that I think, I don't think humans are necessarily virtuous all the time or that it's society that makes us bad. I think we're a bit of a mixture. And that that mixture is what makes humans unable to control and unable to to get it right so to speak you know to get to get the world right because it's you know you just can't humans aren't rational in my opinion which is which a lot of people would think that they think oh humans are rational they just need you know they're gifted they can think for themselves and work things out and work out science and maths and all these kind of things but humans say one thing and do another Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's that's one of the things humans can do is they can go, yeah, um, I, I'm I'm a vegan, and you, you know, you're terrible for not for for doing this. And then they can go and eat meat the next day. You know, they <laughs> can they can do any. You know, but humans can lie, they can cheat, they can steal. And it's all part of our makeup. You know, sometimes we're lying, sometimes we're telling the truth. Well, that's the internet again, isn't it? The avatars that we have on our social media platforms, they allow us to present a version of ourselves which might not be 100% authentic 100% of the time. Um, And the one thing I was going to talk about uh, before was I loved the punk scene. And when I was growing up, I loved the values of the punk scene. Um, And they made me question lots of things. You know, what is capitalism? You know, how can we get rid of it? How can we get a better society that's more equal and you know how how can we do these things but also kind of grew weary of it as well you know moving into the 90s from the 80s into the 90s was such a a dramatic change in everything because i had been in this punk scene from like the whole of the 80s and thrash and being in bands and going to the mermaid and then when 90 when the 90s came everybody bar a few people suddenly decided that it was hedonism time. You know, it was just drugs and dance clubs and DJs and parties and endless nights of Coke and pills and all sorts of things. And that, you know, everyone I knew, whether they were from, from the punk background, you know, I was hanging out with Lego from Deviated Instinct, Nick Bullen, who formed Napalm Death, um, you know, 
Doom, I was coming to an end of Doom, you know, I was getting out of it. Brian and Stick were up in Bradford doing it, and I was doing a band called Kane, like a Doom metal band. But it was just hedonism, you know, there was no activism or thing, you know, we were we cared about the planet and we cared about um politics. We used to sit up for hours talking about politics, but when you look at it, it was all fluff and nonsense because what we were doing is what 20 year olds do. And that's we were drinking, enjoying ourselves, getting laid and thinking about ourselves. You know? So that, so I, I removed myself from the punk scene in a lot of ways, still listening to the bands I loved, but I wasn't like going to every gig and being in it like I was before, because I was just being it. the music that I was taking in, in the nineties, you know, hip hop, for instance, you know, I was just so into hip hop when that came out from NWA and Wu-Tang and just, you know, just everything in between, you know, a tribe called Quest. We just had hip hop on all the time. And uh, also in the 90s was noise rock, grunge coming through, like amphetamine reptile records, all these like weird bands, but whole surfers was always on in the house. So, we, yeah, so... We, <laughs> So the, for, those, the, for those who can't see butthole surfers uh, shirt on men, <laughs> you know, the nineties, I look at it as like, you know, the golden age, it's just, everything was hitting, you know, I was in my twenties music everywhere again, whether it's electronic music, rock and metal and black metal came through. That was amazing as well. So again, it was just that time of enjoying ourselves, all the same crew, hanging out in Birmingham, going to a rave and seeing people from GBH or, you know. On the E's. Yeah, or Bolt Thrower, being just hanging out with Carl from Bolt Thrower and you're all doing pills and you're at a festival together. And then you're, you know, it was all around Birmingham. We, we stayed around there and just all partied and became that good friends with each other that you're, you know, go to each other's weddings and all that kind of stuff. You know, so I've got to give, props to Birmingham for being such a good scene, a friendly scene. And the people are just so nice, whether it's in the punk scene, the metal scene, and everything in between, you know, the party scene, dance, you know, stuff. So it's been a great place to grow up. Uh, I reconnected with the punk scene by doing a band called Police Bastard in the late, you know, kind of mid-90s and did that for a while, going back out to Europe. And luckily, it's all the same, squats and... DIY venues, new generations come through of younger kids who have all got doom patches and drop dead and all this, you know, all that stuff. So that's quite healthy to see that every new year there's just like new sets of people. Um, and then, and then I've also found that things have gone a bit weird as well since uh, the millennium, um, the two thousands. I think lots of things have really took a hit. Um, you know, guitar music, you know, rock in general, you know, the, the way people look at bands, you know, I think, I, I think over the last few years, bands aren't even exciting to people anymore or, or guitars and things like that. Mm. So there's been other shifts. We were talking about the cultural shift in terms of people getting more woke, which I don't think there's anything bad about being woke. You know, I've seen a lot of people get upset about it, but being woke 
is good if if you can see the damage that's been done around you and you kind of woke to that because that's what it means to me it seems to be i don't know that you woke to 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 that you can make the planet better that you can make life for each other better Mm. i think it's like consideration and compassion versus you know uh censorship i think that's the fine line we're we're walking now where you know i i love to see people more conscious i love to see people being protected but i also get really bummed out too because this this surge of censorship which i'm sure you're getting to yeah. um destroys a lot of things that you know could potentially be entertaining or maybe something you could learn from and not having that open discussion and shutting things down like they're they're doing these days i think destroys moments that could be a real learning moment and, and to continue to help people sort of awaken their minds. So that's the fine line I, I feel like is, is starting to happen. And that's what bums me out. But yeah, you're right. There's you kind of we kind of needed that. We needed people to sort of be more conscious and more aware of each other. But I think it's it's gotten a little too far these days. Yeah, I suppose it's got it's got positive and negative aspects. You know, you just you, you can't have one without without the other. You know, the internet's changed everything. The way that we look at things, listen to things. You know, I miss the old model of going and buying records from a shop, maybe seeing something on top of the pops, or seeing something you know on uh, MTV even, and going, oh, that's that's interesting. You know, because now it's just like everything everywhere. And that's not the world I grew up with, you know. I didn't grow up with that kind of choice of everything. Um, and it was quite nice, actually. <laughs> well, things, well, things were sacred, you know. Like, you go to a show and you see a band and you wouldn't have gone there if you didn't see the flyer, if you weren't part of the community. There was a real sacredness that I experienced growing up that sort of felt like yours. You, you owned it. You earned it. Mm. Where nowadays, kids just flippantly go through, you know, on Spotify and listen to whatever. And it's that sort of attitude of like, yeah, I've heard that band, whatever. Where when you're younger and you're exposed to it and it's yours, it's it's like there are moments where you watch these bands, you're like, wow, this band's incredible. And you're standing in a room of 30 people and you're hearing this band for the first time. And now you guys have people who go on YouTube and go, yeah, that band sucks. I saw them on YouTube. <laughs> Don't care. It does. It all feels a bit fake and throwaway culture does these days. And like nothing's nothing's got any value or any kind of like, you know, soul and stuff. There's still bits that you can find here and there. It's uh, like pick what... a mix, isn't it? That's what it's like yeah. now. Just like have a bit of that, throw it away, a bit of that. So how old's Lauren now, your daughter? How old's she? Uh, 11. So what's, uh, what's she into and how does she consume it? Um, I haven't influenced her at all cool because you're I, not showing a bad taste or brain dead then <laughs> no i mean i just i just don't influence anything she listens to or likes because i've seen people do that people send me photos of their baby in a doom t-shirt you know <laughs> um and things like that and the it reminds me of cult behavior um, <laughs> where you where you kind of go you kind of go, we believe this, you know, we believe this, so you'll believe it too. And, <laughs> and we'll listen to crass and discharge all day and hopefully it'll rub off. Whereas I don't think that will happen. I think the kid will grow up and go, who the fuck is this band? You put me in the T-shirt. I'm going to go and listen to whatever's cool at the time, you know, because I think that's the way people work. And I, I don't think people like necessarily being told what to like by their parents, you know. Um 
rock fans can be just as bad, I think, as well. You will listen to Iron Maiden and Slipknot, you know, and he's like, I don't want to, I want to listen to Grime <laughs> you know, or something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, pe- people, people send me all those kind of pictures, but I'm not into that uh, kind of pushing her into anything. I'd like to see what she gravitates towards. And she's quite normal in the sense of popular culture. She picks up on pop. Um, catchy things, things that are on TikTok videos, things that are on her games that she plays, whatever it is. And it's all based around these kind of simple tunes, you know. Mm. Pop music, um, you have to like pop music if you like music. You've got to, you know, if you like music, you love kind of all aspects of music, I think, unless you're kind of in some kind of weird scene where you say you only like one thing. So, so I, I, you know, I've got great love of pop music, the way it's written, the way it's ultra catchy, the way it gets under your skin, new, new techniques, new p- production styles, all that kind of thing interests me. Um, and I found it interesting that Billie Eilish watched a documentary with my daughter about Billie Eilish, and she was saying that she'd grown up as a Justin Bieber fan. You know, that's what she listened to. She loved him. She had a cutout on the wall of, of him. And I just thought to myself, that's that's it, really. You know, there was a point where I think music was quite interesting for people who were growing up. And then I look at the music they've grown up with over the last few years, and it's been really kind of like talent show kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Soul and really ultra, like Drake and Kanye and all the biggest things have just been like, soulful hip-hop ultra ultra um what's the word sanitized pop ariana grande well that's what's interesting isn't it is in the up till the 90s perhaps the early noughties but certainly in the 80s and 70s definitely pop music was super exciting it was idiosyncratic it was original it was provocative pop music forget rock an underground, an alternative, just popular music was always really progressive. And then at a certain point, popular culture kind of became very, as you say, whitewashed, didn't it? Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's, I think it's because as well, people are connected by the internet. So if something's big, it's ultra big, you know, it's absolutely massive, you know, and we make billionaires out of these people, Rihanna and, you know, Beyonce and people like that, they're, they're billionaires, you know. Um, and the Kardashian thing, you know, which you only have to walk down any high street and you can see how it's affected culture. You know, these people with sausage lips and <laughs> butt implants. Yeah, this, so weird. And, it, and this straight hair and, and this co- cookie-cutter kind of glamorous, you know, that, that's, that's the thing I was – I was thinking about society again, the duality aspect is you, on one hand, you've got people telling you to be woke or that you should be woke. And we should be thinking about the environment, the planet, this, that, the other, but the flip side is you've also got the biggest narcissistic culture of influencers and rich idiots. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whether it's the Kardashians or whether it's Kanye or whoever, so it's like there's two, there's two totally different worlds going on in that respect. Most people want to be glamorous and rich by the looks of it and have do- little dogs 
little tiny little dogs and, and be on their phones all the time and be talking about going to on yachts, you know. I would go, yes, we're going on holiday on a yacht, drinking moe and this, that, the other. That's kind of what culture seems to want to be. The only way is Essex or this, that, the other. Well, reality TV is an interesting thing as well, isn't it? Because there was a time when everybody who was famous was famous for something. Either they were a singer or they were a movie star, but they they had a craft. They did something. And then around the early noughties, with the rise of reality television, we just had celebrities for celebrity sake. And then the the incentive for young people was when they were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? They go, oh, I want to be famous. Rather yeah. than I want to be a football player or an astronaut, you know, and famous for that. Oh, I just want to be famous. I don't care what for. And fame became something to strive for in, in and of itself. Yeah, I, I got annoyed actually the other day because the Kerrang! Uh, poll, the magazine poll came out for the year and they didn't put uh, best radio show. They just put best podcast as though like radio doesn't exist anymore. And I was a bit like, oh, you could have put radio and podcast, you know. Like, But yeah, p- people... My daughter, she looks up, she doesn't look up to bands or people with guitars or this, that, the other. She looks up to YouTubers, you know, people who play Minecraft and make her laugh or, <laughs> or somebody, yeah, somebody online. And the people they grow up, grow up watching come across as real entitled little brats as well. Cause it's like, today we're going to give away this car. Or uh, all you have to do is sit in this paddling pool for a day, uh, you know, or something like that. And they're so loaded that they're just throwing all this stuff out. And my my daughter sees that, and she's she's like, Dad, look how much money they're making from these YouTube being YouTubers and influencers and all this stuff. And they're they're the modern celebrities to her, you know. If I was younger, I'd, I'd, I'd get involved, you know, I would have got involved in it and done like a channel or a podcast or a YouTube, but I'm just too long in the tooth, you know, and sarcastic and bitter. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm 50, you know, 51 now. So I find it hard to be like, hey, this is exciting. <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, but you still yeah. do your radio show and you still play new music and you, as much as anyone I know, keeps up to date with new trends and new bands. I tapped out, man. When I stopped doing the evening show on Koran in 2013, I basically tapped out of new music there. And I occasionally will hear something I like and, you know, I'll, I'll buy the record or whatever. But for the large part, I read books, I listen to podcasts, I watch films, and I listen to the bands that I already know that I like. And that's it. But you're still there to some extent on the front line with with shifts and progressions so you do see it all and you've got your finger on the pulse uh yeah only probably because i work in the industry and i get music thrown at me all the time you know um but the whole industry's changed you know yeah the gold the golden era for rock and metal was 70 80 90 you know that was it it was the golden era for rock and metal it was the biggest thing it was guitar music everywhere big bands you, you could make a fortune if you made it and be flying around on jets or you could make it as a pretty big band um, in the 90s as well. You know, you could, you could do that because of the way the industry worked. You went and bought a physical thing from seeing it on MTV or reading about it in a music paper. All those sales of that product, 
you know, put lots of money back into the industry and it just seemed to work. And the music industry has just been hammered consistently <laughs> since uh, the, the internet came around and it's been hammered and hammered again and then hammered once more and just every aspect, even people's merch, you know, gets hammered, uh, you know, a p- big percentage is taken out of it. So, so I can understand why musicians find it really frustrating at this time. I was, you literally took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, for us, you know, a lot of people look at me and think that I'm, I'm well off and I've got all this money because I'm in kill switch engage, but truth of the matter is it's not the case. You know, when you're done touring and everyone's gotten paid what they get paid from, you know, management to booking to, to lawyers, to all these people who have had their hands in our pockets um, and a lot of younger bands now have merchandise wrapped into that contract where mm-hmm. the label's taken merchandise. The one thing I will say about Killswitch that saves our asses is t-shirt sales. We're literally traveling t-shirt sales. <laughs> yeah. So if we make a profit off a tour, nine times out of 10 is because people bought a fucking t-shirt. And yeah. uh, it used to be record sales. We used to have royalties. I mean, in the early, early days, you know, royalties weren't so bad. Now it's like, I'm lucky to be able to pay taxes, which I can't even do with my royalties anymore. So it is made it difficult. And I think the common thread we're talking about here from everything you've just discussed, what I'm, what keeps sticking out to me is money. Money has driven so much of our quote unquote culture into the ground. And, and I think the people who had the talent, the people who used to have the hits on the radio that were intelligent, you know, talk about like public enemy fight. The power was a hit. And you look at what was happening during that time in our culture and people were standing up the LA riots. Like there was a lot of things going on. And then you sort of see like the decline into like little Wayne, you know, strictly talking in hip hop, you find a guy who's getting drunk on scissor and is just making up nonsense. And people are like, that's our guy. You know, it just goes to show you the gradual decline of like intelligence and substance and money and people just flaunting, you know, in the early 2000s, money was everywhere. People, you never saw dudes in videos throwing money everywhere. It's like you worked hard for your hustle and you kept it tight to your chest. And that was when people just started doing the whole money thing and, you know, Puff Daddy and all those glammy videos. To me, that's when it all started to really go downhill. Yeah, as a hip-hop fan, it's worth talking about, actually, that is because it started as such a great genre in the 90s, you know, interesting, yeah, violent and sexist in a lot of ways, you know, but it was interesting and vibrant. But as time went on, yeah, people were just chasing whatever was new and... And just this culture again of of wanting wanting riches and wanting cars and material objects, and I can tell you now one thing that stayed consistent in my life is that I am not in any way materialistic. Your camera uh, shows that, John. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and and I must admit I have a great life. Um, yeah. I live on a shoestring. I drive an old car. I wear my shoes until the soles fall off them. Uh, I hardly buy any. Yeah, I hardly buy items really. You know, I just get a bit of music here and there, a few beers, and um, I, I live a really frugal life. I try not to waste anything. I don't waste lots of food. Um, you know, I try to leave a small carbon footprint if I can, because just none of that stuff in. None of it interests me. Yachts and champagne and gold and bling and and, so, and new trainers, you know, new new coats and you know all that kind of stuff that people seem to flaunt in these videos. 
you know, fair play to you. But most of these artists, they're popular for about half a year. So they just get big, spend all that money and then go broke. And, and then, then go never to rehab. Hear, and then you never hear of them again because you've only got a short shelf life in a hip hop. Not in rock and metal. They'll stick with you for a few years. You know what I mean? Look at Machine Head. Still going, you know, after all these years. You know, I only listened to the first two albums. Um, but, 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 yeah, still going strong because the fans support them. Um, but those type of artists just come and go. And Can I ask you, John, what brings you joy? And, and where do you find fulfillment and contentment in life? If it's not about material stuff, which obviously it is not, um, but you, for me, you say you live a simple life. You know, I know you've been through stressful and trying times, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you've been there through my experiences of that as well. You know, I feel like we've been there with each other through some really shit times, but we've persevered, we've, we've carried on. And it seems to me like you have found an inner peace these days. Um, mm-hmm. What's brought that? into your life how how have you found happiness um i think i think well to give you a brief kind of run through started off as an idealistic young punk who was who was trying to who wanted to make the world a better place um then went into my 20s and just wanted to be young and hedonistic but there's always been i suppose from the start of punk wanting to know more about life wanting to know more about what people think about things, different viewpoints, philosophies. You know, uh, I got into the occult for a long time and Satanism, which I found really, really interesting because it's very self-empowering. It's very selfish. It's very hedonistic. It teaches you to surround yourself with all the things you like, that are, that, that, you know, books, films. It teaches you to to read more, to be the best person you can be. And that was incredibly helpful um, in terms of, you know, because I was looking at my punk friends and lots of them weren't getting, they weren't getting the same influences. They were stuck in their ways in in a sense, uh, not even getting into technological changes or societal changes. Intellectually just closed off. Yeah, a little bit. And I love them. You know, I love, the punk scene as i said but there was there's bits where i had to develop a bit more myself self-development go into different environments get different jobs um you know i ended up working behind the scenes as a production runner for bands so i was driving bands from their hotel rooms to the nec and the nia picking up cradle of filth and next day trent Reznor and rob flynn and you know doing all these jobs before i worked at kerrang but i was also a bit of a stoner love just thinking about life and taking on board different viewpoints as i said i enjoyed the satanism thing as it really kind of helped me focus on what life means and that is you've got this short spell really short spell and you can just fill it with as much um enjoyment and bits of hedonism and you can be selfish to an extent um and 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 like like all these dark aspects to like as to life as well as the light ones, you know, because when you're a Satanist, you you take them both as the this part of the whole. You're not you're not saying, oh, we need to be good, or we're, we're good, but society makes us bad. We just go, we're good and we're bad, you know, together. And you don't know which one we're gonna be. 
<laughs> well, that's life as well, right? That's well, the do, truth. Do is we are we are all a little of column A and a little of column B, and yeah. and the fight is to lean towards the good. But I also got bored of it, got sick of it, because obviously Satanism's full of pretentious people who think that they're the the elite. It's very elitist. And, um, it's a me- meritocracy as well, where it, the more you achieve, the more the more well thought within Satanism you are. You know, it's it's non egalitarian like punk. Punk's trying to be everybody on the same level. Satanism's like, no, we're the best. <laughs> You know, because we're, you know, but but it's got so many aspects to it as well that are interesting and fun. And, you know, so I took that on board for a little bit. And then I started getting into some other philosophers after that in the 2000s. John Gray was one of them, really pessimistic, quite dark philosopher who believes that humans aren't rational. Uh, they don't make sense. You can't control them. They're going to be the, their own demise in the end, and there's not much you can do about it. Um, but he puts it into these really uh, interesting ideas that we are just animals. You know, we're humans, but we're animals as well, and we're not really that special or different. We're not divine. We're not, uh, you know, special in the sense that we're if removed from the other species on the planet, we are just an organism, you know, and that's my basic view. You know, I'm not into conspiracy theories or strange ideas or UFOs or this, that, the other. I'm cold, hard realism. <laughs> and that is, that, that is you're here for a bit. Um, try and be decent if you can, you know, I know you can't all the time. Um, enjoy yourselves. Don't uh, upset too many people. Enjoy the ride because it's quite short. You know, that kind of thing. That's very much what I am. And I'm definitely not uh, pious in any politics I've got because I've failed many times, drank too much. I've I've had addiction problems, ups and downs in my private life like anyone else. But you work through it. You know, you've got to work through it yourself and find ways to kind of cope, talking to people. We've, you know, we've chatted lots, Matt, over the years about different things, you know, when we've been down or messed up, you know, so you can help each other out. But, yeah, that's what gets me through. And then, obviously, if you have a family, which I've done now, you can you can start to build something else, which is really new, it's easy to be hedonistic and cold and not give a shit about anything when you haven't really got anyone else to look after or de- who someone who depends on you. Um, and it, you, you can just do what you want in a, in a sense. But once you've got family, you know, you've got different responsibilities and I've still got a way to go. You know, I can still drink too much and get down from it and, you know, think why do i do this you know why do i drink why do I, you know we all do it we we do these things and then regret them and then want to change and sometimes you can't make that change um i try and just limit things a little bit these days because i had, <laughs> had quite a lot of good times in the 90s and 2000s so i'm I take it and in 2010s easy. come on yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know i still have a good time but I don't go out as much to pubs. I still go to gigs and play gigs. I'm in three bands at the moment. 
which has kept me sane over lockdown. Um, What's the band that I keep seeing Andy Cairns from Therapy wearing T-shirts of? Yeah, I mean, a few bands have got Rainbow Grave, uh, which I, for- I formed that about seven years ago with Nick, who formed Napalm Death um, in his teens. You know, he formed Napalm Death when they were proper punk rock, you know, before it was grindcore. We've been friends for years. So we just, we wanted to make a band that was noise core, like the early, sorry, psychedelic noise kind of stuff from the early 90s, like Flipper and Butthole Surfers, and I suppose bits of Sonic Youth or something like that, No Trend. Um, so we, we do a project uh, like that, released an album and some singles, and that's going really well. Well, it was going really well until COVID hit, and then, you know, we went over to Europe and did a couple of gigs out there, and we were going to do some more gigs in the UK, and then just it all kind of, you know, ground to a halt. I'm doing like a, a three-piece band called Death Fiend as well, which is like Celtic Frost, because I love Celtic Frost. And um, and then I've resurrected an old band called Kane, which I did in the early 90s, which was Doom kind of stuff. Lee Dorian from uh, Cathedral, uh, from Rise Above Records, put out, re-released the album recently. And uh, a few people are buying that. So we've got back together and we're jamming again. And now I've got two lockups where I've got all my gear and music stuff. I've got three bands on the go, which is the only way I socialize these days because I meet up with the musicians, chat and play some music and we record stuff. And, um, and life's good, man. Life's really good. I do a lot of gaming. Uh, yeah, I didn't know you were a gamer. Yeah, watch films. Yes, he's a gamer as well, aren't you? Yeah, it keeps me sane on tour. I love it. I, I need it. It's my yeah, uh, my I've therapy. Got, <laughs> I've always enjoyed it, you know, from the early consoles. But, you know, when COVID hit, RPGs just saved my life because I can just roam around these open worlds feeling like I'm feeling like I'm doing something. I'm collecting stuff. I'm powering up. And it just... <laughs> You know, it makes me feel like I'm living. So it's a weird one, but, uh, but yeah, it's kept... completely relate to that. Totally relate to that shit. Yeah, it does. It, it keeps you sane when you're kind of stuck in a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, COVID's kind of been another, another weird one. Uh, because... Can I ask you this real quick, John? Has COVID changed your life all that much? Because, you know, you've obviously been recording your shows from home. For yeah. a long time, you haven't been touring as much because obviously, as, as Lauren's been getting older, you've been wanting to be around and be at home and be a father and be present. So, has it hit you that hard? No, and it it would it would have hit me really hard if I was in my late teens, early twenties, um, when I was supposed to be out enjoying myself and having sex and yeah. things like that. Um, because as a 51-year-old, I can happily just get some food together, sit on the sofa, play some games, watch some stuff. Um, and I just feel for the young, really, in that respect. And Lauren, you know, she hasn't been on family trips, family holidays. She hasn't had sleepovers with her mates. She hasn't had the same level of education that you get from socializing. You know, you can't, you can't get the same level as that stuck in her house. So I feel for her. Yeah, I feel for all the people in the music industry, the entertainment industry, the production runners, the lighting people, the, 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 the people who own the PA companies, the haulage companies, the caterers, all those people who I've worked with behind the scenes. 
have had to reassess their position. As I said, <laughs> the music industry has taken such a kicking that COVID, COVID was, was like, like the final COVID, straw. COVID the- was like, you know, when like the, the, the superhero gets a, a dagger and just puts it into the heart of something. Yeah, it felt like that really. Like how, how are we ever going to survive? And even that's where I start to get a bit paranoid again, actually, is like some of these companies are getting so big now, like Amazon, and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, technology companies apple today you know triple trillionaires or something like that but but uh, yeah some of this stuff's getting so big and yet so many things are getting hammered in the process you know small businesses it's a struggle for them pubs can't stay open under these conditions the music industry's taken massive hit over covid and um you know, I, I, I just, I just think that it's been hit and hit and hit, and I'm, I, you know, I'm glad that it still uh, survives. But um, I don't know how some of these things can survive with that kind of thing going on. It's, it's a big thing, a pandemic. It's, you know, it's the first time it's happened to me in 50, 50 years. So something new to me, something new to take on. And is, uh, I don't, is any part of the punk rocker in you excited about the rebuild? that will inevitably follow a global event like this. And as a father, how do you feel about the future for humanity and in particular, Lauren and her future? Um, Just a little light question to end it on. No, no, it's interesting because I've seen a few, quite a few people in the punk scene go down the conspiracy route over, over COVID times. See it on my Facebook feed sometimes. And it's only a small percentage from the looks of it, but the, they're so critical of the government and hate the government so much that they tie that in with COVID. They kind of go, the government are forcing us to do this and taking away. And there are kind of truths in that, in the sense that the government are taking away civil liberties. Uh, there was a policing bill that went through to stop people protesting while COVID was mm-hmm. happening. So you do have to keep an eye on the government, but I've seen quite a few punk people kind of almost saying it's orchestrated. Do you know what I mean? To to bankrupt people and to depopulate um, and to kill people off as though there's some higher power sitting in an evil chair going, I have let loose this disease. Yeah. This disease over the world and soon my plan will be complete. You know, I've seen a few people go off on that kind of tangent to varying degrees over COVID. So I know it's had an effect on people. I think you can still be critical, really majorly critical of the government and powers that be, but still believe the science aspect of it, Mm. which seems quite straightforward to me. And that's that we need to, uh, you know, uh, immunize ourselves, have boosters, probably yearly boosters, and we'll get through it. Um, but yeah, going back to your question about how do I look at things in the future? You're uh, buying yourself time. <laughs> I don't know because I don't think enough people are on board with the kind of ecological crisis. I think they're all a bit kind of, that's another one, isn't it? Another dichotomy that's happening. We're being told that we need electric cars and to scale down and use batteries and less fuel. 
But meanwhile, you look at culture, what culture's doing. Cars are getting bigger. Everyone's driving fucking Jeeps and Range Rovers that are huge because of that bling culture that we were talking about earlier and that need to look like a fucking celebrity. So do I put my trust in humanity to scale down? And, you know, France this week or last week said they were going to stop using plastic on the outside of vegetables, right? Which just to interject with something random, but yeah, you know, the, we've been putting plastic on the outside of cucumbers, you know, and things like that, which is just fucking ridiculous, you know. And France has said, no, we're not going to do that. You just buy your vegetables and you take them home, kind of thing. Wash them there, yeah. But you know, as a culture, we've just become so out of step with nature and trying to do these things and business is so unstoppable you know the factories and the the way we manufacture things i just haven't got really that much i forgot that much hope that humanity can kind of clean its act up really um have you done that in, in the last few years matt have you i suppose reduced your carbon footprint yeah well i mean diets and i don't really eat meat that often i only Mm. ever eat meat out at special occasions you know maybe Mm. if i get together with a group of friends i haven't seen in a while we go out for dinner but i never cook with meat at home i don't drive so i don't own a car um you know there's a lot of stuff that i do which minimizes my impact on on the environment but i think for me it's really interesting because the shift that i've seen in all my friends with them leaning more towards an awareness of these concerns is parenthood parenthood has been the incentive because it's like bang as soon as you've got a kid to care for it's like right i now need to care for the world to protect my child's future and their child's future um i think it's a beautiful like i don't think i'll ever be a parent but i've seen such a beautiful shift in a lot of my friends because of that you know awakening within them where they're like oh the world's bigger than me i now realize that which is super cool but as you say i think we're such we're in such, sorry, a nihilistic, but narcissistic culture now. Yeah. I don't know whether the concern for others is there on that global scale that we need it to be to reverse this mass destructive, you know, wave of capitalism, which is already, you know, everywhere, isn't it? Ingrained in our very society all over well, the world. Well, as, as I said before, going back to what I was talking about with Satanism and punk, you know, punk was about sticking together socialism anarchism you know working towards a common goal and satanism a lot like libertarianism and um, and a lot of aspects of right-wing american culture and right-wing culture in general is about selfishness and about it's about me and my family only uh, or my business only or sod everyone else it's about me which we've got it runs through our government, you know, our conservative government in the UK. It's very much like feather your own nest, have two houses, you know, try and get as much as possible as you can. And socialism, When what changed me as well, because I was kind of getting a bit sick of, uh, I suppose, what I'd call a dogmatic feeling uh, from left-wing culture, telling you you weren't really good enough if you didn't do X, Y, and Z, or you weren't, you know, kind of up to scratch. I kind of feel that, you know, because I felt that a little bit in the punk scene sometimes. 
mm-hmm. you couldn't just be yourself yeah you, you were almost living some to somebody else's ideals you know um and i'm a great believer in being honest and being yourself even if it's to your detriment sometimes you know but uh but yeah i think that's um that going forward we've we're as, as as humanity and you can't you can't uh, you can't make massive change in the world environmentally without being a bit dogmatic and kind of telling people what to do and changing their lives for them. and that's that's one thing i said years ago it's like how, you'd have to be really dogmatic to make people change their buying habits and, and what cars they drive and as a recently reformed smoker i think that's the best example of how if you enforce a rule There'll be a bit of a backlash at the start, but then very quickly, everybody will just stop using plastic. Like if you, I think you have to impose these rules. Um, you know, like when smoking was banned from restaurants and pubs and bars, at the start, everybody who smoked was like, oh my God, this is an app. And then within weeks, probably less, they're like, oh, I, I just go outside by habit now. And they don't question it, they don't miss it. And these mass changes, which are for the greater good, I think need to be enforced as law. Um, Otherwise, people aren't going to take that responsibility on their own shoulders and put it into practice. And I I think as a species, this COVID time has taught, I think, me this, and you guys have probably noticed it as well. We are so adaptable. You know, we roll with the punches so well as human beings, I think better than any other species. We're able to shift our lifestyle and our patterns, you know, to roll with the hurdles, the challenges, placed in front of us. And I feel like we don't give ourselves enough credit in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as I said before, there's been some great progress over the last few years. Um, and, uh, my girlfriend always says it, actually, she goes, she goes, people always want to take you back, you know, science, we learn each year what's good and bad for us. Smoking's a great example. You know, when I was growing up in the seventies, everyone on TV smoked, you know, in every series in every pub, on the news even right they just (laughs) (laughs) filmed things like that and it was ridiculous you know just giving yourself that kind of uh you know made me smoke i was a smoker you know i'm a smoker but um but yeah kids don't see that anymore and it's good and there's more of a gym culture now kids are kind of looking after themselves a little bit more they don't seem to drink as much as we did in the 90s do as many drugs i don't know they might do but doesn't seem quite as hedonistic. So the, there's great progressions in society. Um, and we're supposed to kind of conflict with the younger generation a little bit as we get older. And you kind of see in that, that that's, that's an interesting one is that the generations are bumping heads quite a lot. Mm-hmm. They call us boomers and things like that. And, you know refer to your generation as though it's a kind of a diss it defines you you know your generation defines you kind of thing that's quite a weird one because because the youth seem quite bitter at the old older generations for Mm. kind of you know landing them with i don't know debts student debts and not being able to get on the housing ladder without thousands and thousands of pounds which is which is which is true you know um but yeah we're supposed to bump heads with the the younger generation um they're really concerned about um identity politics and equality um to the point of madness sometimes i think 
you know, I think they drive themselves insane trying to do all this uh, identity politics stuff. Um, Because you can just be nice to each other and, like I said, be part of a music scene. Like everyone in Birmingham, the stuff... Yeah, you know, people are punks and rockers and loads of people have got different politics, you know, mostly left wing and mostly quite caring and thoughtful, but just people aren't dicks to each other, mm. you know, and, and you can find that, you can find that all the time, especially online, this kind of, you know, projection, projecting yourself as a certain thing and sassy speak, isn't it? It's all about, all about sassy speak on the internet. <laughs> I think that's the big problem for me, you know, as far as the internet goes and and where we are in society now is, is there is no friendly discourse. There is no edifying of each other. If you disagree with somebody, instead of hearing them out or maybe trying to figure out where they're coming from or why they think the way they think or culturally where they come from, it's just, I disagree with you. I'm deading you. You're done. I want, I want you, I don't want you in my circle of thought or friends or whatever, where during this whole time, uh, lately, I, I'm making sure to like to speak to people on either sides of the spectrum, the right or left or the conservative, because you know, I, I don't identify with any side of a thing. I really try to grab from everything that makes sense to my life and try to live compassionately, but also protect myself as well. I think it's a major problem that we're going to now as people who are just set in their ways, put their feet down and just cancel people or shut them out of their lives and don't want to know what your opinion is or why you think that it's like, you're a fucking idiot. I'm done with you. We're like, I haven't done that. And I, I've learned a lot about about like, you know, what either the strengthens the way that I think and feel, or I've shifted my ideas and my thoughts on things because I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting point you made. Mm. And I think that's, that's what's missing on from our culture period in general. I mean, not even just through this pandemic, but, in general, that's what we're, we're lacking so much is understanding each other, you know, regardless of your political stance or your religious stance or whatever, the discussion needs to be open. It's the only way we're going to progress is being open to each other. And there's not a lot of that at all. That is for me, going back to your earlier thing, why I've literally just pulled away from so many things. Mm. And the only content I put out there is either A, to promote my music or my art, or B, to come on and say, hey, can we all not be assholes? Can we like try to get along a little bit? Those are kind of the only things I do online now. I don't really put my opinion out there heavily or like really kind of go in unless it's to promote, like stop being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I said this to someone though. I think it's a learning curve as well. You know, you kind of do it for a bit and it's quite exciting and you're having these conversations and you, you know, we all love a good conversation, but we used to do that face to face face in pubs or late at night after the gig or on the tour bus you just sit there having these mad conversations about you know and it's different doing it online because yeah it's it's there it's written the context can change as you said you know people can, on a voice you can't hear yeah, body language yeah you you might say one thing and then somebody starts saying this guy is a Nazi. This guy is a, you know, it, you don't know what's going to happen. Someone could put your address out there if they don't like you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a weird place. And I think, I think it's to be expected, you know, the same way people, if there weren't laws in place, people would, if they thought somebody had committed a crime in your in their road, they'd drag them out into the street and, and beat them. 
you know, because mentality, people, yeah. Yeah, people do do that in very lawless countries. You know, you still see it occasionally online. You know, some guy's been caught stealing something. And people are pretty quick to go, yeah, get the guy, you know, witch hunt, whatever you want to call it. Because so that's another little dark aspect of our personalities, you know, which you have to be aware of, um, you know, that, that so we can do that. We can be very spiteful and conniving, as I said. Um, yeah, it's all about owning our own flaws, isn't it? Being honest with ourselves and being forgiving of other people's. Yeah, I think, I think you've got to recognize that how rounded and quite elusive and strange human beings are, you know, that's what, that's why they can never really figure themselves out either. Uh, you know, because, because they kind of want to be good. Uh, they think a lot of the time they think they're being good, um, but not necessarily the, you know, I, I'm positive though about life. Uh, Matt, you know, as I said, my daughter's growing up, she seems really engaged with what's going on in the world and enjoying you know, whether it's uh, music, games, films. Uh, it's interesting hearing what she's talking about as well. It's a slightly different world she's growing up in. She's going to keep you young, Doom. She's going to keep you young. <laughs> you know, but it's it's going to be an interesting ride. I, I'm dreading the next phase when she's Teens. 14, 15, 16, and I've got to go and collect her from outside a nightclub or, or oh. something. Or... I'm waiting for her to come in or text me to say that she's okay and things like that. You know, I never used to do that with my mum. I didn't have a mobile phone. I just used to go for two days. And not come well, back. I do think boys are different as well, you know, not to be gender biased, but I do <laughs> yeah. feel like as lads, you're given a lot more free reign by your parents, especially your dads. And, <laughs> you know, I've got a sister and I saw how much worry would just consume my parents if she was even 10 minutes late coming home. Uh, again, with the... Again, All with to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be horrific. Um, you know, and, uh, I, you know, going out to the nightclub and picking her up or something like that, I'm going to dread that one. Um, but, yeah, like I, said, like I said, enjoying life, enjoying her, watch, watching her grow up. Um, society is quite per perplexing, as I said, because on one hand, I think, gives out this one message and then on the other side there's this ugly narcissistic reality which i just can't connect with at all um and it seems to have got worse as well it really does you know um and i found myself losing touch with music as well and things as i've been going on uh do you ever look at the reading and leeds lineup and just go oh well, i used <laughs> i used to host a lockup stage at reading for five years 2013 to 2018 and i remember in 2018 i went on a walk just across the site from the lockup stage to catering to get some food and i was just surrounded by 16 to 21 year olds and rightly so because yeah. i was 16 when i first went to leeds it's a youthful festival more so than any in the uk the lineup should reflect youth culture and popular music and what is current and what is now. And I just had a moment where I realized that I was, you know, a good decade out of step and out of touch with these kids. And I, although it was a very well-paid gig, it was a thousand pounds just for the day, just to go play tunes between the bands. I, after that wrote to the festival organizer who I love dearly, great dude. And I was like, I'm going to step aside because I just feel too old. I think if you're over 30, and you're at Reading Festival, you've got to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Because <laughs> I just felt like a grandpa. I felt so old there. But 
you know, that's part of life. You alluded to it. We are the old guys now. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, th- I think I think this is interesting. That when I was growing up, you had mainstream culture, I suppose, which you'd call popular culture. So you'd have the people who liked all the latest pop bands and Michael Jackson and whatever. But there was counterculture. Uh, and, and what I describe as counterculture could have been anything like punk, but it could also be psychobillies, mm-hmm. you know, those rock and roll fans. It could be the uh, the goths, you know, it could be... Ravers, uh, drum and bass yeah, dudes. Yeah. The, the, guy, the guys into power electronics music and noise and things like this, the counterculture. But I kind of get the impression that the youth of today don't want a counterculture. They just they they can have Billie Eilish, Justin Bieber, all this stuff, and it's just and even pop punk versions of it on TikTok. Travis Barker producing it probably, and <laughs> um, and and just be happy with it with all this stuff being massive and and, and not needing. To, I suppose everything's mainstream though, isn't it? Tattoos are mainstream, and that's it. There is no alternative anymore. Alternative to what? You know, if you've got blue hair and tattoos, you're not alternative anymore. You're the guy who works at the bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit hard to be alternative when all that stuff's been subsumed into modern culture. You know, uh, God knows how young people try to be different these days. Um, well, I think you can see some of that is evident in culture, actually, how they want to be different. But it's it's it must be hard for them, you know, when your dad grew up listening to Slayer, Slipknot, and probably went. To Where see do the, you go from the, there? The, went to see the Cramps and but old surfers, and then you're <laughs> you're just I don't know listening to Billie Eilish, you know? Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a weird world, isn't it, Doom? It is. I like it though. I like uh, I, <laughs> I like studying it and looking at it and taking it apart and putting it back together again. And uh, and yeah, there's still lots of good music out there. I do listen to a lot of um, kind of underground noise, old stuff. I'm always digging out old demos and watching old YouTube videos. So I'm still passionate about film and music uh, in my own way. I'm just a bit grumpy and old. Um, not not feeling modern culture maybe as much as uh, as the cultures i grew up in like i said 70s 80s 90s it was just amazing absolutely amazing um so i don't regret what i've done and um i don't know what i'm going to do next but uh, probably present a show on thursday or thursday and friday 10 p.m on kerrang radio and do a bit of music on the side so you're on Kerrang! every weeknight, 10 to 1, yeah? If people want to check you out. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's a new music show, so I play lots of new music uh, that's come out that week or that day or whatever. It's very eclectic as well, so you get metal, you get kind of hip-hop, you get pop-punk, all sorts of guitar stuff. Uh, a few interviews here and there as well. Uh, and then I'm just doing my bands and uh, living my best life as, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as modern people. Would say. The great thing about you, Doom, if people might, you know, have got no background knowledge of you or, you know, they just don't know you from Adam, I think you can come across as like, you know, sour and dour, but there's, there's a real cheekiness to you, which I've always loved. And I think you are a fine example for me of how important humor is for sanity and hope and optimism now more than ever. Um, you know, it's, it's a bleak world out there sometimes, but I think that ability to see the absurdity 
and have a little chuckle at it from time to time, that gives you an armor, doesn't it? And it allows you to weather the storm. Yeah, my dad taught me that. Um, you know, he always, even through his darkest periods, said, you know, you've got to have a sense of humor running through things that kind of keeps a light edge to everything. Uh, because life's irreverent and silly and we can't make sense of it all the time. Um, and there's lots of dark parts as well. You know, my parents are getting old now and I know some darkness is on the horizon. I know I've got to be strong. I can't let myself go down, you know. I've got to be there for them and I've got to be there for my daughter. So, um, you know, yeah, you do have to be strong, but I think having a sense of humour, being able to laugh at some of the darkness <laughs> you know is really important and um and there's not a lot what we can do as well you know you ca- i can't change everybody or make things better we've just got to try and do it through communication and good ideas not listening to conspiracy theories or people who want to just make money out of you you know listening to people with interesting ideas going forward and um you know hopefully we can we can all do that well, it's always a pleasure to hear you talk and speak from interviews to you being on the radio to meeting you. And I think a person like you, it's good that you have a show that has new music because I think a mind like yours, an encyclopedic musical mind like yours is good to present new stuff and give people a context of history. And And I think what you're doing is important, you know, especially because I can't even imagine <clears throat> being a host of a, a show with new music. I, I don't know if I'd have the patience for it, but you've mm. got that. You've got that. You're still curious. You might have that sort of cynical side of you that people talk about or whatever, but you're still very curious and there's an intelligence there that I really admire about you. So it's always I had, a pleasure. I had, I had to drop um, my my gatekeeper kind of attitude towards bands because I can be like that. We can all be like that, where we go, these are the bands who are brilliant. Everything else is shit. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we, are, we are like that. When I walked into Kerrang, I was very much like, I know what I like. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, and everything else is shit. But you can't do that with radio. You're playing all sorts of stuff and you see the reactions from people and you realize that music is so subjective, isn't it? It's so subjective. Uh, the amount of music that I hate and people will just cram into this to watch <laughs> it and sing along to it. And, you know, I like some underground black metal band from Finland who play in a cellar, you know, uh, to about four people. You know, that's the kind of stuff I like. That, you know, grimy, dirty, horrible, badly played music. You know? so the, <laughs> there's lots of, lots of things that separate us, but there's lots of things that bring us together. And I, I, I love the fact that music still empowers people and still excites people even if I don't like it necessarily. Um, and I'm always open to new music, always open to new hip hop beats um, or experimental sounds, uh, even soundtracks, you know, soundtracks over the last few years I've been into, you know, some amazing ones out there. Um, so I think you've got to keep interested in things as well. Surround, as I said, surround yourself with the things you love, um, whether it's games, films, books, and sit in your lair and, uh, and in, i love what you said and i think that's a good note to leave off on music brings people together it does I yeah love that. yeah and uh, we'll get together again after after covid really because you know lots of people have been apart you know so mm. yeah uh but yeah thanks for chatting to me guys
Thank you, man. It's a pleasure. Love you, Johnny Doom. Good to see your face. Yeah, Matt will hook up at some point. Um, For sure. You know, I'll, see, I'll see you in a field or venue somewhere. But uh, yeah, speak to you soon. And uh, yeah, let me know when it's going out and I'll uh, give, it, give it a shot. We're going out next week, mate. Yeah, excellent. Brother. Excellent. Speak to you soon. Nice one, guys. Cheers, Cheers John. Appreciate it, man. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 